Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Joining us on the podcast today, a man who has dedicated much of his life to the game of college tennis, head coach for the University of Oregon men's tennis team. Please welcome to the show, Coach Nils Wielander. Coach, how'd I do on the pronunciation? Good? Bad? Okay, I was nervous. You did about as good as I've ever heard. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's, uh, it's my upbringing. It's just, you know, a lot of, a lot of Wielanders in my life. So, you know, had to, had to learn the tongue usage. I'm probably the only one on this continent other than my direct family. Yeah. No, that's a good thing, by the way. A unique last name. There is nothing wrong with that. And obviously, uh, you know, you are a guy who has spent so much time in college tennis. And everyone who I've spoken with, they always say, when are you going to have Nils on the show? When are you going to have Nils on the show? So very excited to get this opportunity. And, you know, obviously for you, let's just start right there. You, you I believe you had the head coaching job for the Oregon women dating back to the 2002-2003 season. So we're closing in on two decades for you at this school. What's the allure? What's the draw that keeps bringing you back? It's Oregon. Say no more. I love it here. Uh, it's it's a unique place. It reminds me a lot of where I grew up in Sweden. And, you know, it's a great place to live, great place to raise a family. And obviously the university speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Is it just how long did it take you to be used to, you know, looking good in the Oregon green? Because it's a unique color, right? Like you got to be yeah. special well, to pull it off. Let's, let's be honest here. That's one of our colors. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, have you seen our football team? We seem to change color every week. <laughs> have you asked for that for the tennis program? You're like, I need, I need new unis, combat unis for our Sunday matches. And you know what? It's on my to-do list now. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> Uh, I like it. Well, uh, obviously, uh, what I want to do on this show today is talk about where things are at for your team. And, you know, looking back at the 2021 season, I think it was a sneaky successful 17 and 7 year uh, for your roster. And you look at, you know, again, the Baylor match, it was a 4 0 scoreline in the NCAA second round. That was not a 4 0 match. Anyone who watched it knows how tight it was across the board. You're, you know, one flip of a second set away from being alive and maybe getting to 3 2 in the scoreboard. Who knows what happens there? What were your thoughts on last uh, year's season, particularly given just all the hardships everyone had to go through? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, challenges start. I mean, we didn't have a lot of our team here in the fall. And, you know, it seemed like the schedule had to be reworked about every other week. And, 
uh, it was definitely a challenge, but we were able to manage and uh, uh, get got a pretty good schedule together, stayed really healthy. We did not have one single uh, case of COVID on the team uh, with coaches, players, staff, or anything like that. So we were fortunate and um, like to think that the guys took it very serious and, and we put ourselves in position to be able to uh, compete as normal as possible. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious because, again, how different was the fall-off season than your prior years? I mean, the obvious answer is very different, but how did you navigate trying to have communications with your guys? I'm sure if you never have to Zoom again, you'll be fine with it. Uh, <laughs> but how, how difficult were those challenges? Unless you want to Zoom meeting. No, <laughs> uh, no it's – you know, we talked constantly, and, you know, we had about half the team here. And then other half was spread out, but it was, you know, didn't really have many team meetings, anything like that. It was more of a, you know, the guys kept in contact with each other and us as a coaching staff tried to really stay, stay as close contact as we could. Um, Just, you know, uh, constant communication, I guess. If there's one guy on your team, you would mute forever on the Zoom conferences. He's not allowed to talk anymore. Who do you pick? Do I have to? <laughs> well, I mean, I'll say other coaches have. They're v- Some are very quick to say, oh, if I could have gone through that offseason without X, like, we all would have been better off. Yeah, no, I mean, I, no one stands out. Like, <laughs> we didn't have that many Zoom meetings, so it was mostly done, um, you know, a lot of one-on-one, and there was no r- real big team gatherings on Zoom, Zoom on our squad. I'm going to say Josh Charlton, then. That's just who I'm yeah, going to nominate. He, he's got the gift of gab. He's the he's the <laughs> He's he's the legend of one-liners. Actually, they're pretty <laughs> funny. So, but yeah, he likes he likes to yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I'm curious, given the lack of continuity in the off season, only having half your team on site, and I know you brought back a lot of guys, so some of them were familiar with the Oregon playbook and you know what you guys foundationally have as your principles in both singles and doubles. But what's so noticeable to me, and you know, having done a bunch of these coaching interviews now, is that you only played seven doubles pairings last year, and I know you didn't have that big of a roster, but that's on the lower end. Is that a testament to the continuity and just you know again how was that an impressive thing just to be able to click given the no fall yeah i mean we didn't have that many options uh like you said we were a small team Mm -hmm. um and uh we only added one player actually he came in january Mm -hmm. um so it was we had a pretty good idea uh we wanted to do going into it and giving the 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 short preparation we had we were going with what we were comfortable and you know, things that had worked in the past. Mm-hmm. It felt pretty natural to us. Mm-hmm. 16 and three at the number one doubles position, 14 and eight at number three. Obviously, doubles was something you guys had a bunch of success last season in. How do you replicate that this year? Uh, just win more than we lose, I guess. <laughs> uh, no, I feel really good about our doubles this year. I mean, Josh and Quinn obviously are a very good team. Um, you know, and we had a guy transferring in uh, who's a very, very good doubles player. Unfortunately, he's missed, missed a little time with injury here now, but he's just about to come back. And he had a good run at the All-American with Jesper. And so they've proven that they're a good team. And we got a lot of options for that, that third doubles team as well. So I feel really good about it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, better, you... better than I've had for a few years, actually. No, that that's good to hear. And, you know, looking at your team, I think something 
college tennis fans just will take note of this season and coming off of last year is how good you were across the board and in particular just to read some numbers to you 15 and 4 at number 2 singles obviously that stands out 14 and 9 at 3 16 and 6 at 4 16 and 7 at 5 now we'll get to 1 and 6 a little bit later but the All meat right. and potatoes the doubles 2 through 5 where college tennis matches are won you yeah. found recipes last season what, I, I mean, obviously capturing that success, what worked is the, the secret to college tennis, but what worked so well for you guys across the board last year? I think we just kind of found a comfort zone um, and we didn't move guys around very much. And, um, you know, we won a lot early and, you know, gained confidence and you know it. I mean, college tennis, is it's a lot of momentum <laughs> and uh, you find that groove and you stay healthy. Good things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. You got to get have a little luck sprinkled in there as well. Mm-hmm. From but a scheduling, like we were pretty even across the board, mm-hmm. um, and I feel it's the same this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm curious from a scheduling perspective because last year was a little bit lighter, obviously, yeah. just given the restrictions you had on you. Yeah. Is that? Did you learn anything from a scheduling perspective? Lighter load, the guys are rested. Anything? Maybe a byproduct of COVID. I know for the SEC people, yeah. one of the spins for them is we're going to play more hidden duels in the fall because it's just great yeah. to get our team out there. Any scheduling takeaways you learned from last year? No, I mean being the conference we're in, we need to find the right non-conference matches, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and we got a very challenging uh, schedule this year, to say the least. Um, I don't know if it's been released yet or not, but it's uh, it's a very, very challenging schedule. Um, but as for the hidden duels in the fall, I love it. Uh, we haven't been able to do that, but it's something we're definitely looking at to do in the future um, just to kind of get that feeling of playing for a team, and especially for the newcomers, I think it could be a great tool. And, and I know a lot of schools have moved towards that, and we're probably looking to do something similar in the future. Mm-hmm. I heard from one coach the pushback to the hidden dual format is that you don't want to typecast your players. You don't want you know guys five through eight thinking, oh, I'm five through eight entering mm-hmm. January. You know the counter to that is they're probably thinking about the lineup anyways. But I'm curious where you are on that argument. Yeah, I mean, I you prove yourself every day, and mm-hmm. you know nothing is nothing is given. You earn it every day. So all that lineup stuff takes care of itself, and uh, and. You know, it's up to them to uh, realize that. And, you know, they're at this level for a reason. They do. I mean, they probably look at stats more than us as coaches do, Mm -hmm. to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, they've got the UTRs on hand. No doubt about that. My other question. You can just throw out a name and they will pretty much know the UTR. Yeah. I don't know how accurate the UTR is right now, though, coming off of this pandemic and you know, we, I know players that don't have a UTR skid, uh, matches they played, they're not, haven't been in there for months. Mm-hmm. And it's just, um, hopefully, I mean, I think that's going to catch itself up, though. Mm-hmm. No, I'm always curious why they're hidden. I'm like, what are we hiding about these duels? I don't understand. They're just yeah. duels. Yeah, but I know it's what, it's a scheduling thing or something? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess you can't be a real duel because then it's a team date. So, yeah, so we're hiding yeah. it. That's we got our twenty-five days, and we got to come. Yeah, no, I like it. I am curious because you talk about the UTR stuff. Have you noticed over the past fifteen years are people are players more 
hesitant yeah. to play? You know, if I'm a 13, I don't want to play at 11. What if I lose? It kills my rating. Is that something you've had to adjust how you schedule and just, you know, how you talk with your players? Personally, we have not had an issue with that, but I've heard from other coaches that they've had those kind of issues. Um, but hey, a tennis match is a tennis match, right? <laughs> it's pretty simple. I've been doing this long enough to know that a tennis match is a tennis match. You win some, you lose some. Mm-hmm. It's no matter uh, what number is next to you. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And speaking of winning some tennis matches, obviously that's what you guys did last season. You look 17-7 and seven overall. And, you know, you get a win over a Stanford team that obviously was very young but very talented, 4-2 at the end of the year. And, you know, you guys are able to get a win over Alabama, 4-3 in the NCAA tournament, play a very good match against Baylor. Yeah. What did you learn about your team last year? And, again, how did the results you had last season shape what you guys have tried to do here this fall? I think the word that stands out to me is gritty. Hmm. Uh, we weren't really outfought very often. Uh, the guys care a lot, and we are going to lace them up and play hard. Mm-hmm. And and usually that's a pretty good recipe, and I feel the same about this group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm curious, and I want to talk about some of the guys individually. A guy I had the chance to see play this summer because I believe he competed at Kalamazoo uh, was Quinn Vandecastle. And I know you look at what he was able to do last season from a statistics standpoint, obviously had a ton of success, uh, you know, 13-9 overall in dual matches as a freshman. I'm intrigued. I'm curious. What have you seen from Quinn this offseason? I feel like there's a big jump in the works. Yeah, Quinn's Quinn's a powerful player. Mm-hmm. Uh Funny you saw him in Kalamazoo. I think he wants that last match uh, back out there. Yeah. It wasn't the best day, but I mean, it's a freshman coming in during a pandemic. Uh, you know, he only had a few of his teammates on campus. He was the one, the, one of the guys who were here. I don't think he lost a dual match at home the whole season. Mm-hmm. But he didn't win one on the road until we beat Alabama. <laughs> he into a tournament, so kind of even itself out. Uh, but no, nah, I mean, the sky's the limit for him. He's got the game. He's a very uh, powerful player. And uh, he's definitely going to build upon what he did last year. He's improved quite a bit since then, even. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about some of the other guys, but you bring up a stat that I thought was most fascinating 17 and 7 overall, 14 and 0 at home. Yeah. That, I mean, it's a COVID year, so sure, you're more comfortable when you're playing at home. But that's how does that happen? You know, what's the that That's noticeable. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the last decade, yeah. um, we have, I mean, our winning percentage is off the charts at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even a couple of years ago, when the pandemic hit, I mean, we had UCLA, I think we had eight or nine match points. It's one of the few matches we lost at home. Mm-hmm. And we still had eight or nine match points in that. Uh, we had match points at USC at home before. And, and so I guess that's next on our list to try to get one of those big, big wins. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's the level we can play on. It. We feel very comfortable in here. and uh, The guys love playing here. And, uh, yeah, it's like you, you hit the nail on the head when you said it's it's comfortable being at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the next step is we need to be a little bit better on the road. Mm-hmm. No, and, you know, again, when you look at this team, do you consider it an experienced roster? I mean, you bring back a ton of returners, but yeah. I, I certainly last year, I don't know if that counts as a year for anyone, just given it wasn't a full season. How experienced are the guys this year? Um, good. I mean, Manu Costi and Brandon Lamb yeah. are not here. Uh, Manu, I mean, he probably would have liked to stay, but we 
the one year master's program that he wanted, we didn't offer here. Mm -hmm. So um, th that's unfortunate, but you know, we brought in some, some really solid players. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty experienced, pretty experienced team. Mm -hmm. um, we only have, yeah, there was a transfer that came in. So he's played college tennis before the high level. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like everybody's been to battle tested before. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the conference entering this season, obviously, you know, what Arizona was able to do last year and Clancy's got a really talented team coming back, you know, USC is always going to be up there and Stanford, everyone's a year older and now they actually get a full off season. And uh, that said, again, Stanford's young and Arizona's good, but they're young and USC and UCLA are going through some changes right now. I feel like, again, a sneaky veteran Oregon team. I got to do some selling here, as you can tell, Coach. But there's I, I a narrative it. there. There's a I, narrative there. Do you there, see it this there, season? I, I buy into it. I buy into it. I think the guys buy into it. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we played. I mean, even Arizona last year, uh, we lost 5-2 on the road. Mm -hmm. But we had match points at uh, three doubles to snag the doubles point. Uh, we were up. 5-3, set him 5-3 on Strum, match point. Uh, those are the two points we needed to win that duel. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's, you know, I think the conference is is very evenly matched. Mm -hmm. Utah's a good team, too, that don't always get the respect they deserve. Mm -hmm. uh, they're a very good team. And and to play up in Utah for anyone who goes there to play, that's about as tough of an out as you can find in college tennis. Mm -hmm. And Clement Shedek at Washington might be the best player oh. in the conference. Yeah, it's yeah, just silly. I know, right? Tell me about it. Yeah, just silly. <laughs> Guy's been on fire. I yeah. mean, the whole summer. He barely lost a match the whole summer and, you know, carried right, right on into college tennis this fall, you know? It's great to have a player like that in the conference. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talked about it earlier, Costa would have liked to come back. Unfortunately, not able to. That does leave. Well, I guess, you know, he and Josh alternated last year at the number yep. one and two singles position. And I'm not saying someone else couldn't step up and play number one this year. But let's just say it's Josh. And you can give me a wink here if it is or it isn't. <laughs> um, but I, <laughs> it, it, I guess the point is there's a gap at number one singles. It's an open spot. Yeah. Is someone yeah. on the team ready to wrestle it away, take control of that position? Because obviously when you get that force up top you guys saw in the thomas laurent years what that yeah. can do for the rest of the team can we have him back for another year <laughs> I petition. Waiver we can file? so the deal was if he comes back then blumberg gets to come back for year six and it was like okay, okay. yeah uh, all right well they're not a non-conference i'll take the deal right now <laughs> so, uh now it's it's uh you know it's our number one spot's up for grabs to be real honest with you mm -hmm. You know, Quinn's playing some great ball at home. Once he puts it all together, um, you know, over the next couple of months, he's not going to be an easy out. He actually had set points at Shadek at Super Regionals, didn't convert and kind of went away, but that's the level he can play at. Um, you know, Ivayo, before his injury, played lights out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe someone else shows up in January. Who knows, right? Mm -hmm. Who knows? Is that a wink? Nah. Is that a... <laughs> no, there's no wind in here. But you never know what Santa Claus brings. Yeah, of course. It's I know it's fascinating, right? And I'm curious with that in mind, because I do want to talk about some of the broader things, but uh with recruiting, you know, talking you look at the group you have this year and you bring in some transfers, you still have a lot of returners as well. How are you approaching balancing 
what is essentially now a free agency in college tennis and it, and i do think it's net benefit that transferring has been destigmatized because i think there used to be an association with a player leaves something bad happened the coach is rotten the players run sometimes the fit's just not right and i'm glad you know we're at a better place at acknowledging that that said how do you balance the op- ability to be like well let me just go grab a six on the market versus building for the future with the normal recruiting process uh i think the ideal world is you can find the balance of the two sure you know uh, it's something to be said to have someone that has the experience right mm-hmm. um and it also depends on the makeup of your roster do you have a veteran roster you bring in someone younger do you have a young roster it's gonna most likely you're gonna dip into the transfer portal mm-hmm. um so it's, it's gonna change year to year and you know, all these extra COVID years are going to face themselves out too. I think it's all exaggerated right now because there's so many extra years out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to play itself out over the next couple of years as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, like you said, though, uh, sometimes it's just not a fit. And in that case, it could be in the best interest of the student athlete to be able to look at their options again. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, and let's be real honest here. It was never really that hard in tennis anyways. Sure. It's not like football or basketball. We have to sit a year. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just a little less uh, dramatic. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Um, and again, how these coaches, I would go to a seminar on how coaches make everything fit with their four and a half scholarships. Cause I'm just like, bravo to some of to all of you. It's just, it's, you're all mathematicians. It's like playing Tetris. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. It's like playing Tetris. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know some schools have more academic monies than others and it's yeah it's it definitely a math degree wouldn't hurt yeah no it's fascinating yeah and some inner inner you know in state policy and you know you get a scholarship just for applying yada 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 it's it's impressive shout out to all these schools uh, for being creative yeah. as opposed to making things straightforward and easy for us to understand um all that said that was a setup to you know last question on your roster you know, 11 and 10 at number six singles. Obviously, that's a number that would leave something to be desired now. I believe in the end, I and think it was Rio. Un- that's unchar- uncharacteristic for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Luke didn't have the year he wanted to have last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a brilliant student. He's in the Honors College, and it was a lot. And with the pandemic on top of it, I think it was a lot for him. He's been fantastic this fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the results are going to come. Because I see the way he's practicing every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and not saying he's going to play there. He probably won't if he keeps doing what he's doing. But, you know, I definitely feel like whoever ends up there, we are going to be a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason I bring it up is because, and that was perfect in terms of who might develop into that spot. But more importantly, you mentioned this earlier, a little bit thin from a roster perspective last year. Now, with the abundance of classes, five years of high school graduates right now in college tennis, feels like depth is more important than ever. Do yeah. you see that depth more so this year on your roster? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Um, I think we're definitely one player deeper at least. Yeah. Um, you know, and hopefully we'll stay injury-free. But, you know, if everything goes according to plan, uh, we are going to be very solid in that sixth slot. Mm-hmm. No, and it's going to be really fun again to see you guys compete. And to your question or something you asked about earlier, the schedule is not out. I was like, oh, am I about to get a sneak peek at 
yeah where yeah. oregon's I mean, traveling it's not a secret it's i mean it's not a secret it's just mm -hmm. hasn't been posted yet but you know non-conference here at home we play in pepperdine this year uh we go down to play san diego with august holmgren on the road uh that's a very good team this year they had it down here last year but they are about as good as they get this year uh i think northwestern is coming out of here out of conference and we'll return that trip uh, down the road we're playing tulsa for the first time uh, I don't think we might have before I started coaching, but I've never played them only in the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. um, so we're playing them out of conference and, you know, it's a really good schedule. Mm -hmm. And with that, you know, I, the reason I asked about that, and I want to get into some of the rule thing, you know, more broadly here as well. The 500 rule was something that was waived last season. And for listeners who aren't aware, although I'm sure at this point they are, that was the rule that you had to be 500 or better to reach the NCAA tournament. Now, shout out to Arkansas Gate or Alabama Gate, whichever school it was from a couple of years ago where they played 42 matches in a 24-hour span. And that was super yeah. impressive for everyone. Um, but... <laughs> Obviously, that's the extreme scenario. Now, there are both sides to the argument is, well, if the 500 rule is not in effect, why would a Power 5 conference even play a non-Power 5? If I can get away with playing only the best schools, maybe I want to do that. At the flip side, scheduling is difficult, and you want your team to see Pepperdine, to see San Diego. Where are you on that rule? I, I don't really love the 500 rule uh -huh. um because all it does it creates so many double headers uh -huh. uh, in the past quadruple headers whatever we've never <laughs> had to do it but uh i see what someone would do it uh -huh. um but also let's say you have a very emotional match against washington and then in order to stay 500 you have to get the guys laced up and go out and play again uh, -huh. uh i just don't know if that's in the benefit of the student athlete Mm -hmm. um, I don't think so personally. Um, I think if you know the best team should be in the tournament, whether that whether you're 14 and 16 or 20 and four it shouldn't really matter. Mm -hmm. No, I, 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 and it's there is something to just again the opportunity to play the best, right? Like that's why these kids are here. That's what they want to do. I mean, those are the matches they get up for. Those are the matches they live for. Mm -hmm. You know, if you play a schedule that you're not going to get the best athletes because if you play a schedule they don't want to play, why go there? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and uh, again, how beneficial is it for someone to play way above their level too? That can't be that fun either. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, thinking more about it, I, I, I don't think the 500 rules serves a great purpose. Mm -hmm. Where are you at with all of the NIL-related developments? And obviously, it's very young, yeah. and international yeah. players aren't really able to benefit. There's some charity stuff they can do, but it doesn't exactly make sense yet. How yeah. does that impact college tennis moving forward? Uh, well, it's to be seen, right? <laughs> um, I don't really know. I don't think it's affected tennis so much uh, yet, and it probably will in as people get more used to it. Um, I know at Oregon, they have the Emerge program where they educate all the student athletes uh, about personal branding and how to use social media, uh, how to market themselves and do all that. So all the resources, obviously, it's not uh, us to do it, but, you know, they have the resources to to get assistance if, if they're looking to go that route. Uh, obviously, college football has a lot of athletes that benefited for it. I, I like it. I, I think... Uh, 
if you can it teaches you something else too right mm -hmm. if it's if it's used in the right purpose mm -hmm. um you know to go out and, and be a businessman businesswoman uh, and, and market yourself it's a life skill that's probably good to have mm -hmm. no and does it impact recruiting moving forward or do you think it'll be uh, negligible for tennis you know what it has never come up mm -hmm. without us so i not not even a recruiter has asked the question mm -hmm. and obviously as coaches we can't be involved anyways um but so I haven't seen it impact recruiting uh, at all. I don't know what the situation is at other schools. I assume at some places it has and some it hasn't. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's going to be interesting again to see how it moves forward. You would think, and I keep floating this theory, but if I'm an Ivy League coach, like the yeah. Brown job has never been more appealing because I'd be like, I just need two alums to be like, hey, I just need your signing bonuses. Just like that's it. And we're going to be the best college tennis team in the nation. And it's just like because they have more disposable income. In theory, that's what I, I would get creative. Like but, I feel like that's the inevitable evolution. Yeah, but it kind of defeats the purpose a little bit too, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's going to be – again, I, I'm not very knowledgeable on it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think you're going to see a lot of things happening over the next three years mm -hmm. and it's going to kind of play itself out and it'll be more normalized because mm -hmm. uh, right now people are just swinging in the dark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it is, again, it'll be fascinating to monitor uh, moving forward. Before I get too deep into all of my rules questions for you, I do want to, again, just ask another Oregon-centric question. You look at where you guys are at, and again, 2015, 16, 17, 19, and 8, 19, 7, 18, and 10, back-to-back-to-back, second-round appearances. You made the second round last year. Expectations is too bold of a word because I don't want to ask any coach, what do you expect out of your roster this season? But does this team have the feel of those teams where it's just the continuity, the talent? It feels like, again, yeah. last season can be replicated. Yeah, I mean, we hopefully take it a step further. We've been so close. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you mentioned the Baylor match. I think pretty much everything was in three sets. Mm -hmm. um, and at three singles, we were just – we ended up losing the break, but we served to go into a third set of that one as well. It was Quinn, right? Quinn versus Fed. It Quinn. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. I mean, Quinn was right about to turn that match. Mm -hmm. And we moved indoors right when we had momentum to make our pushback. There was a lightning delay. And, and uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's not like we mind playing indoors, being from yeah. but, you know, that break when we really started playing well in dual match, I sure don't think helped us. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're a great team and we have to play the perfect match. Uh, I mean, great team. But, you know that's the level we can play at and and we expect to be in the tournament and once we're in the tournament if you peak at the right time and you're healthy um you know anything can happen and i think the last four tournament appearances we've been in the second round mm -hmm. um so i mean naturally we're looking to take it further arizona did it last year and you know they had that was uncharted territory for them okay. and why not us now mm -hmm. no i i love it has do you think on a side note, no ad scoring has introduced more parity into college tennis? Much more. Yeah. Much more. In the beginning I did not like it. Mm -hmm. But I've started to love it. Mm -hmm. It just creates so many exciting moments in a match. Mm -hmm. And it's uh I used to think it was an art to play them too, but it really isn't. <laughs> <laughs> it just play a good point like any other point. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but it that for the fans, I think it's great. Mm -hmm. I think the only th doubles is Russian roulette, like it is. But I also think the forty minutes of the doubles point is the single most exciting element of any tennis match. Period. Like just yeah. capturing that forty minutes. If we can sell that as college tennis fans and people invested in the sport to others, I think that's yeah. what draws people in, right? It is the parody and the fact that a, you know, yeah. a three matches at once isn't that hard to follow, and it's just like everything's happening so quickly and it's so exciting. And like, it, that, that's the energy it, right? is unreal. The energy yeah. in a good doubles point, you it, you can't duplicate that in a singles match mm -hmm. unless well, you're in a set and it's three all. Yeah, well, I'm going to get radical on you here as we get into our rule conversation. I was having this conversation with a different coach uh, off mic. I'm going to bring it here on mic with you. I think there's something to, and I know we've we've played with the format a lot, but the idea of starting all action simultaneously, because to go from that doubles point energy to the lull that happens at the start of first sets and singles, and you know the five ten minutes in between singles and doubles, a lot of coaches now it's just hey here's free pizza, eat then come back and watch, and that is a good bridge gap for those five minutes. But how do we get that excitement because there's so much energy at the end of the doubles point and carry that over to the start of singles? And to me, it's just like. I think eventually you have to start playing them both simultaneously. And it's just like, okay, we finished. You did two doubles, each worth one point, three singles matches, each worth one point. And it's like, by the time we're done with doubles, we're a set into singles. And everything still matters that much more. And I know that's seven players instead of six from a mm -hmm. roster perspective, whatever. I like, I do, I, I just you're think, why I'm curious. Mind. Yeah, okay. Is there something to that? No, I mean, you're, yeah, that's what I'm sitting thinking when you're throwing out your theory here. Mm hmm. Um, okay, the deeper squads, more academic money, schools are going to have an even bigger advantage. Yeah. That's the drawback to that to me. Okay. Yeah. So for a place like Oregon, we don't have much academic money. We pretty much rely on our athletic aid, and all of a sudden, we're not going to be able to have the same amount of players. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it. But 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 to the energy, I mean, do you feel that lull, though, in, as oh, no, coach? That's Energy-wise, in a perfect world, yeah. But does do the athlete just want to play doubles? Yeah, that's another good point. You know, it's the really good ones probably want to play both. So uh, I don't know if it's beneficial for college tennis, the level of college tennis in that mm -hmm. regards. But from just a spectator standpoint, absolutely brilliant. Okay. Well, you can tell which side I come from. Yeah. Um, yeah, here. I'm curious on that note, and again, spectator side here, lawless lineups. So you're 14-0 at home. You oh. don't need this help. But the rule is because there's already enough chicanery and, you know, whatever creativity, we'll say, that goes around in forming a lineup. But – my solution would be in lieu of, you know, that just to let's double down on home crowds, home field advantage. Anytime you're on the road, you have the opportunity to lose. Uh, the rule is away team submits the lineup. And I think the adjustment is you have to have you submit your top three players and then your four, five, six. And then the home team coach can match up however he wants in those two groups. So it's like, here's your one, two, three pool. Here's your four, five, six. Home team gets to decide who plays who from there. All right. Well, man, <laughs> that's pretty radical right there. <laughs> that's pretty radical right there. I think you would see a lot of matches come down to one or two matches. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing you would get. Okay. Uh, 
but you probably have a lot of matches that are not that exciting too. Okay. That's just my gut feel on that. So I would have to nix you on that idea. I it's been I think one person didn't nix me. I was it was Chris Young, Oklahoma State. And maybe that's not a shock to you. He's the only one who was like, That's interesting. I can work with that. The other one I'm determined to get incorporated. And I actually think this one has an outside shot. It's not likely, but outside shot. Yeah. Coin toss is a wasted opportunity. We're better than that. We're more creative than that. The alternative option is rock, paper, scissors, because I want the meeting where, like, you're telling your team, hey, we ran the numbers 52% paper. Trust me. Like, we're going to win all of these rock, paper, scissors. But B, instead of that, the most fun option, one point, drop and hit, head coach versus head coach, start of the match, winning coach gets to decide the serving arrangement on every court. Um. You said head coach? So the rule is if you're over 50, you can have the assistant play. So I just turned 50. Okay. So I'm out? You, it, it's, I'll leave it up to you. You're on the border. You can play or not play. You All have right. the 50 Don't luxury. Play. Spence, he's, he's, he's tough. He's tough upstairs. I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. I like it because it's just accountability <laughs> on all levels. Now the team comes yeah. in the locker room and says, Spence, Hit the track with us. The forehand was shaky. You've lost yeah. three in a row. That's right. That's right. Now, my money is on Spence. Yeah. Um, he, he'll do what it. He'll do what it takes. No, I like it. I just there are some matchups like oh man, Chris Woodruff versus Ty Tucker, first point of the match. Like who's not watching? Who's not yeah. invested? Uh, question is, uh, is Ty Tucker wearing his sweatpants? That's going to restrict his movement. It's a, it's a good question, and then it throws off his whole coaching rhythm, and it's yeah, just a, it's exactly. a new tie, and yeah. so, oh, I'm in. I, if you can't tell, um, I mean, if nothing else, just for the pure joy of watching it. Exactly, and like there are a lot of good players out there uh, who are now coaching in the college ranks, and so fans yeah. are in, everyone's in. Don't you want to hear the Oregon crowd going, "Ah, we love you, Nils." Ah. And you go out there yeah. and give a little clap. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, there it is. All right, some serious ones for you. NCAA wild card for the champ. And obviously a guy like Thomas in your program, he could have competed and won the NCAA title. No doubt about that. Um, was in the mix many a times. It was this shame. He only played it once because of injuries at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he would have had a legit shot at winning it all when he mm-hmm. was the best. Should the college winner receive a uh, U.S. Open wild card regardless of nationality. Absolutely. I mean, it's an international sport, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think, I mean, I understand why it's the U.S. Open and how the U.S.T. would want a uh, an American in it, but in the good for college tennis, who would not want to see the number one college player in the Open? Mm-hmm. I agree with you, and especially... Why the burden of college tennis as an international sport is on the USTA is a question for another time, but it is. It's the college tennis happens in the United States, and if the USTA is buying in on college tennis, then here's your here's your representative, here's your nominee, and that gets me to point number two to build some, I suppose, camaraderie between the New York crowd and the NCAA champ. And this is a perfect world. And Eric Budrak, I hope you're listening. Um, (laughs) But what you do, and I know they've tried the collegiate event there, but you know, move NCA to the fall in the dream world. You play it that second week of the U.S. Open. And it's just like, hey, let's tap into all the college alumni who now live in New York and they'll come out and watch their player. And that's how we get people to stay at the second week of the U.S. Open. Uh, the, the more broad question is moving individuals from spring to fall. 
Is that something, you know, that appeals to you? Uh, on paper, yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, question is, can you do it with the amount of quarter schools we have? Sure. For example, we didn't start class until September 29 this year. Okay. How are you, how are you going to accumulate the results? So, so this is perfect. This is my segue. NCAAs, you play that second week of the U.S. Open. Pro, uh, following that, new season. It's over. You have the ITAL American. You have the National Fall Event. You have the subsequent winter season. And you have to play you know, either those fall events or the winter season to qualify for that next year's NCAA tournament. So if you play the spring before, you can play NCAAs. That would be how I get that to factor in. That, that I, I think I'd buy into. Mm-hmm. And I'll throw out a crazy theory at you. Let's, Let's revert go. the role here. How about we do what basketball does? and have a team season that goes from fall to end of March or so instead. I'm in. And and make a team. Make a team. Team's what it's about. That's the thing. I I just – the individuals, especially if you're not going to make it a separate season, like if you do NCAs in the fall, then I understand it. But you're right, and it's like to get back to the hidden duel point I made earlier, what is more beneficial to a coach, to a team? Playing the regional and having two guys play three matches and one guy play two matches and six others only play once Mm -hmm. or three days of team action where you're playing one through nine and it's not officially one through nine, but every guy gets four matches. It's just like, I guess it's what's the role of the fall is really my question. Yeah. I mean, I, if it, if it worked and if you're going to have the individual portion, I'd rather see it in the fall. Mm -hmm. It gives the fall more meaning too. Mm -hmm. Um, and and you can really focus about the the team and i mean that's why we do this too right i'm still in college tennis this many years later it's not because of the fall event it's because i love the whole team aspects the, the culture of being part of a team and being part of a group and accomplish things together and you know I, I think if you pulled a lot of players that have graduated when they look back at it what do they miss they miss being part of the team in the dual matches mm-hmm. You know, I know a lot of ex-players are struggling with it. They miss it so much that it's just not the same to be out there on your own, grinding away and trying to pick up points. They miss the whole team part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's my feeling on it. No, I agree. And it's funny. You spend three weeks in Orlando, everyone goes loopy. But I was having conversation with some coaches who pitched me pro tennis as a team sport. They're like, this is the future. You need free agency. You need all of these different things. That is what makes college tennis so appealing. And I love the All-American. I love the Fall Nats, obviously. And I think there is a a separate space for highlighting the individual. But, again, the 40 minutes of a doubles point, we all saw Pepperdine versus Texas down the home stretch of the NCAA tournament or even Florida's turnaround after dropping doubles against Baylor. You just don't get there that anywhere else in tennis. That's what makes college tennis college tennis, right? Absolutely. And absolutely, and that's what people miss mm-hmm. when they are done with college tennis. Mm-hmm. You know, and I guess it's a lot about the student athlete experience, right? In all sports, not only tennis. Yeah. And that is the best single experience we can give our athletes is is a good team match. Where are you at in terms of college as a pathway to the pros? Um, I think it is a pathway to the pros right mm-hmm. now. I mean, look at the success the college players are having on tour. Um, to me, it's a no-brainer, especially on the men's side. Um, 
because you develop physically later and that time with your strength coach is so important that you see a lot of players play longer and with all the resources with taking care of your body getting stronger um you know i think you're just better for it and you still have your summers to play or challengers or whatnot mm-hmm. no I, I i agree with you and you know again uh last two questions for you because i don't want to take up too much more of your time but I need a Thomas Lorenz story. I just because again, he was the one we were all following from afar. If you're a tennis nerd like I am, that was the guy who if you the spicy take of who's the best player in college tennis, you'd say, Well, you gotta see this Laurent guy out in Oregon. He's having a ton of success. When did you realize like, oh yeah, he's the real deal? Yeah, well funny thing, he came in young. Yeah. Well, he was seventeen when he sh- I think he turned eighteen on he started in January, he turned eighteen that December. Okay. Uh, he came in as a freshman. You know, he played, I think, a lot of three his freshman year. But, I mean, you look at the guy, he's just built like a tennis player. He mm-hmm. had the mind of a tennis player, very mature for his age, mm-hmm. um, and just did everything and then some. I mean, I think a good Laurent story. I, mean, I think when he started realizing how good he could be, he took it to another level mm-hmm. uh, and put it on his own shoulders. When I'm going up to him to change overs and he just drops down and starts doing push-ups. Mm-hmm. He's starting to do push-ups on the changeover. And he's like, what are you doing, Tom? You're about to start. <laughs> so I was like, oh no, no, I'm getting a little extra work in. Yeah. You know, and he kept doing that. And next thing you know, he's doing crunches. And you know, it's like, okay, I'm gonna win this match. I might as well get a little more out of it. Yeah. You know, he was that kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. So, and unfortunately, he injured his back. Uh, we played Stanford. Mm-hmm. He was up 4-1, 40-15 in the third on Geller, and he <laughs> slipped and, and hurt his back and sit him back six months. Um, still played out that match, and I think it might, he, he lost 7-6 in the third, I know that, but after that, he was out for six months, mm-hmm. um, which set him back when he started. When he started playing, he won his first couple of futures and everything, and I think he got back problems again. and. You know, and uh, I talk to him a lot still, and he misses it. He's one of the guys that really misses college tennis. Mm-hmm. And he could even see himself coach in the future. Mm-hmm. He'd be good at it. Very, He'd, very yeah, good he at it. A, he's very intelligent. Got a brilliant mind, a lot better than me. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, uh, you know, again, I'm curious, and I forgot to ask this uh, to you earlier. I'm sneaking it in, and I'm asking all these coaches this because for a lot of our listeners – Perhaps it's the first time they've heard from you directly, and that's why I want to give all these coaches the chance to say this. Give me the pitch. Why should I come up there, become an Oregon Duck? Obviously, I'm ready to wear the colors. I'd look damn good in green and yellow. I'm just going to throw that out there now. Uh, but or gray and yellow or black and yellow or black and black. They call me oh. Alex Combat Gruskin, so I, uh, I'm, I'm ready for it. Nice camel stuff. I appreciate it, but give me the pitch. Why should they wear the O on their chest? Well, I mean, first of all, it's a unique place. I mean, it's you come here, just see what the athletic department have done. I mean, all the buildings, the basketball, you know, the football, everything. The campus is absolutely gorgeous, especially in the spring when, the you know, we get, not going to lie, we get a fair amount of rain up here in the Northwest. <laughs> but when the spring hits and everything is so green and blooms at the same time, it's God's country. It's, it's beautiful. And, uh, you know, I've had chances to leave, but I could never leave this place. It's just, it's home. Mm-hmm. And it's a special place to live. 
Mm-hmm. No, I, I love it. And yeah, people who live north of Washington, D.C., you, you just yeah. don't understand. Or in, like until you've experienced a uh, spring, like again, <laughs> being from Michigan, that first day you can take a nap on the picnic bench outside. It's you're just like, it's, a good it, it's the best. You're just like, yeah. um, and it builds, it builds character. It's just yeah, like, absolutely. again, an appreciation and yeah. you yeah. go soft <laughs> in 70s. Yeah, that's right. No, it, uh, what people don't know, nine months of the year, the weather is wonderful here. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, another thing about the university, I think it's a special bond between the different teams. It's, you know, there's no pro team in town. Mm-hmm. They're duck, people know it. Mm-hmm. And it's such a pride for this university. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we have our JCO academic center where all the athletes congregate and, mm-hmm. you know, we have athletes coming out to our matches, our athletes go to other teams. I mean, I remember Marcus Mariota mm-hmm. coming to our matches in the student tennis, mm-hmm. you know, it's that kind of, it's close knit community. It's a, it's a sense of pride. Mm-hmm. Do you get a racket in his hand? No, I no, I can't say I did. <laughs> you hear stories. I know there are some coaches who love, like there are other non-tennis coaching coaches who have to get their tennis in at every campus. Yeah, yeah. Mike Bellotti was one of those when he coached a football team here. Mm-hmm. He played every Friday. Yeah, when we were at home, he played at the, the tennis club in town. Did that frustrate you? Because you're like, oh, I got to come in on Friday now. Like, I oh, he, didn't, he didn't play with me. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was um, yeah. But no, he had his he had his tennis hours set up. You know, day before game day every time. I love it. Well, uh, again, with all that said, my last question to you: When college tennis fans watch the Oregon Ducks compete this season, what do you want their takeaway to be? Uh, just again, that hey, they, I want them to be proud of their Ducks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just know that we left it all out there every single match. There's not going to be any whining. There's not going to be any excuses. We're going to lace them up. We're going to play hard. If we win, we win. Yeah, no, I love to hear. Well, again, Coach, this was a pleasure. A spot is always open for you. I, I have another list of questions still. Like we didn't even get into the the early aughts and the early two thousand tens era. I've I've yeah. got questions. That's that's when I nerd out. Again, you can see what my upbringing was. I've got. 10 minutes on Paul Harhoos I like to do always and I oh, know yeah. yeah I'll save it for next time a good, good Dutch doubles player right there yeah no, he, could play. he did good he played with who did he play with again in dubs they were uh, very good I want to say I mean it wasn't my guy Buffaro it was uh no, no. yeah it was um I don't know I'm blanking they were here. dang good though they yeah were, they they must have some slams to their name I need to check that out myself now yeah. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad I've inspired the deep dive. But, Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show today. Be safe. Be healthy. Good luck to your team throughout the course of the season. Much appreciated. It was fun. Thanks a lot. Of course. Take care.